0: Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi. I recently completed my two-month transformational leadership program and the results were powerful. If you wanna live an exciting life and fulfill your highest potential in 2023 and beyond, I have an incredible opportunity for only a few more individuals to join the next cohort. I will personally be coaching a small group on how to discover and clear your limiting beliefs, how to manage your energy instead of your time, how to tap into the power of your intuition, and how to use discernment so that you can start living a life full of ease, abundance, and flow. As someone who has helped countless entrepreneurs and CEOs open doors of possibility they never thought existed, I can tell you that this strategy will completely transform your life. Best part, you'll 10x your output and unlock your creative genius. I'll work with you weekly to overcome your limiting beliefs and transform that into a new self-concept. I'll teach you how to create clarity, Systems and processes, and I'll also help you develop your intuition. You'll get access to some of the best material that will also help you manage your energy, and you'll get access to guided meditations that are not available anywhere else. This method is so effective. If you'd like to join the waitlist, you can find the link in the show notes or navigate to www.yasmintorehi.com backslash gateways hyphen to hyphen awakening backslash Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being and spirituality. On today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Heidi Horsley. She's an international grief expert, licensed psychologist, and social worker. She's the executive director and co-founder of the Open to Hope Foundation, one of the largest internet grief resources with over 2 million yearly visitors. She also hosts the award-winning Open to Hope cable television show and podcast, Dr. Heidi is an adjunct professor at Columbia University, and she also serves on the National Board of Directors for the Compassionate Friends, the largest peer-to-peer support organization in the world. She also serves on the National Advisory Board for the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, TAPS, and she has such an incredible background. She's co-authored eight books, including Spouse Loss, Inspirational Stories for Handling the Holidays After Loss, uh, Real Men Do Cry, and so many more. I'll leave them in the show notes. But without further ado, Heidi, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Yasmeen. I'm honored to be here.
0: So Heidi, to kick it off, I'd love to understand what does it mean to grieve and why do so many people misunderstand the purpose of grief?
1: Wow. That is a really difficult question. Um, It's complicated. That's why it's a difficult question. So what does it mean to grieve? You know, grief comes in waves, so it doesn't come in nice, neat stages and, you know, we can be doing fine one minute and then we can get a, have a memory or an anniversary date or a song or something can come up, a reminder, and it can be overwhelming at times. So, you know, you're kind of back and forth sometimes between living your life and being in, in that grief space. Mm.
0: And you know, I'm super curious. You know, a lot of people, I think, are you know, don't understand the concept of grief and how long it takes and what the steps are. Uh, Can you talk to us about sort of the main steps or the the process to the grief cycle, how long it lasts, and you know what feels like an average amount of time to grieve for folks, and and just you know, sort of walk us through that process? Okay,
1: again, that's complicated (laughs) Um, because. Oftentimes we are on our own journeys and it'll take people different times, depending on things like how close were you to the person, how significant were they in your life? What was the relationship like? Um, You know, the first year you're often in shock, you're numb, you're in disbelief. You can't believe this happened to you. Um, The second year of permanent sets in reality, this is my life. This person isn't coming back. I have to figure out who I am without them not physically present, because oftentimes they can be spiritually present, but they're not physically here anymore. Um, The third year things start to get a little more. You start to figure out, okay, wait, I'm starting to get my sea legs under me. and starting to figure out who I am without this person. But it is a journey. It is a process. It takes a lot longer than most people realize. This is not something that happens in a year. We don't get over a loss. We learn to live with it. And closure, we don't have closure. closure is for bank accounts, not love accounts, so we learn we we learn to find a new normal after someone has died that we love. We learn to go into our next chapter, we learn to reinvent ourselves, so it is a process, and it lost it can last a lot longer than people realize.
0: What are sort of the symptoms that you noticed in the first year of a big loss, um, you know, in terms of grief? Like how how have you seen people process that in more of like a healthy way versus maybe an unhealthy way?
1: I think one of the healthiest things you can do after a loss is find community. Listen to podcasts like yours. Go online and find support groups through the Compassionate Friends, through TAPS. There's a lot of organizations out there um, that will support you after a loss, get involved in them either virtually because you can get involved virtually nowadays, um, or in person and connect with people that have had significant losses in their lives. If we connect with people, we don't feel so alone. We don't feel like we're going crazy. It normalizes our experience. We don't feel like we're the only ones that have had this happen. So it, you know, get, support and try not to isolate. I think that's one of the the biggest things I would say to people in the first year.
0: And uh, you mentioned the Compassionate Friends Project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. The Compassionate Friends is the largest peer-to-peer support group in the world for people that have had the death of a child, sibling, or grandchild. So that's what they do. And TAPS, which is another organization I'm involved with, helps people that have had a military loss in the United States. But the Compassionate Friends is, is international.
0: Wow. And we'll leave that in the show notes for folks. So Heidi, why does it feel like, at least in the West, I can say like, it feels like we're so unprepared for loss and for grief. And why do you think that is?
1: Well, one of the things I think is a problem in the West is that we don't have enough ritual. You know, we've gotten rid of a lot of our ritual, rituals. We've meta- medicalized death you know often people die in hospitals um people don't see the bodies they're not at home um we don't have ritual some cultures and some religions have ritual but many don't many people don't have that anymore and I think that that can be really really difficult
0: Mm, yeah absolutely And so I'm really curious, you know, how do you help people process their grief and and how do you work with people who have had a significant loss? Like, how would you kind of consult them or work with them?
1: Well, one of the main ways I I work with them is I let them tell their story. We need to tell our stories. And, you know, people say, well, I do tell my story to friends and, you know, strangers, but the reality is people don't want to hear your entire story. Oftentimes people want to know how somebody died. And as soon as they find out, they don't want to hear anything else. We want to talk about how they lived. And we also want to talk about maybe the stories of how we are coping in depth. And we need people that are there to to be able to hear those stories, to be able to hear what we're struggling with, um, to be able to hear what we're we're going through. And you need to tell your story sometimes in depth because sometimes you have a lot of trauma. Depending on how somebody died, you can have a very traumatic loss. And if you've had a traumatic loss, you need to tell your story in depth to somebody that can that can hear it and process it with you.
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, I've noticed, uh, this might be anecdotal, but it feels like a lot of people are not equipped to handle um, kind of being on the receiving end of listening to stories about grief. It just... You know, I just sort of noticed that whenever there, there's a moment where there is a loss, I feel like there's a lot of uncomfortableness. So how can you know, everyone really become more resilient in being able to hold space for people when it comes to also process, helping people process grief and tell their stories? Like, What would you tell folks like that?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Well, I guess first of all, I want to say that I agree with you. I think people want to hear that you're fine.
0: When they say, how are you
1: doing? They want to hear that you're fine. Um, And I'd also say that when people are grieving, we as grievers, I'm going to use myself, need to be good grief support. We need to let people know what we need, what we want, what we expect, because, you know, oftentimes people aren't coming out of a place of malice. They're they're coming because they don't, the reason they're not supportive is because they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say, you know, and, and, you know, just going up to somebody and saying, Hey, I have no idea what to say. I don't know what to do. That for me was really comforting after my dad and my brother died. Those things can be comforting. You don't have to have the right answers, but you know, just to go up and and say that, um, I think just showing up for people that are grieving is a big one, you know, because when someone you've had a loss, oftentimes people disappear, they can't deal with it. And just being there and showing up is, is a, a lot. It's very helpful for people.
0: So Heidi, what happens when we do not process our grief? Like, let's say we just don't feel comfortable talking about it, or we don't have the right spaces and places. Like what, what have you noticed happens to people when they don't actually deal with their grief?
1: Well, sometimes we're in a place where we can't deal with it. We might be overwhelmed in our lives, or we might have multiple losses. If we live in places where there's things happening, war zones, et cetera, where there's multiple losses, wherever it might be. And sometimes we have to put it on a shelf and sometimes that can be adaptive. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're grieving in a maladaptive way if you're if you're not dealing with it. Sometimes we have to put it away and then visit it in places where we can. But what may happen is if you don't deal with it, you may it may start to, you know, you may start to think about it over and over and over in your head. And it also may keep you from you know, investing in new relationships, you may be afraid to invest in a new relationship because you're afraid that person will die. Um, if you're angry about how somebody died or what happened, you may take that anger out on other people in your life. So being with safe people where you can explore what's happened and you can talk about what's happened is really healthy. And then you won't project negative feelings onto other people. It can also be hard on your health if you hold everything in and don't tell anybody what's going on. It can it can cause health problems.
0: Mm, wow, and you know you mentioned that your brother and your father passed away. You know, can you tell us why you chose to work in this specific field and and what ha- it has meant to you?
1: Sure. So that's pretty much the the heart of my of my life. This is what I I do. Everything I do it in basically my brother's memory. And and when I was twenty years old, my seventeen year old brother and cousin were riding in a car and my cousin was driving and the car hydroplaned hit the side of a bridge and it blew up. And both Matthew and Scott, my brother and my cousin were 17 and they died very suddenly and extremely traumatically. And that I was 20 at the time and that death turned my world upside down. And, and I know a lot of people that are listening right now have had this experience where everything that they've ever believed in was put into question. Who am I without my brother? Who was I? I didn't know who I was. I lost not only my brother, but my identity. He was my go-to person. He was my everything. He was my best friend. He was just, you know, meant the world to me. And when he died, it, it just put everything I ever believed into question. I was like, who am I? The pain was so great. Not only did I not know if I was gonna survive, I didn't know if I, I really didn't know if I wanted to, honestly, because the pain was that great. Um, I ended up going on a survival program and for, for a month, it was called Outward Bound. And when I went on it, my father gave me a book called Man Search for Meaning. And for those of you that, that don't know, you know, sometimes we're given books in our lives right at the time that we really need them. It's interesting, right? It's like, we're given this book and we're like, I needed this. Okay. So in this book, it is a man who goes, you know, who's in the Holocaust and his whole family is killed along with his pregnant wife. And all of his friends they all die and so it's his story Viktor Frankl is his name and it is his story about how he not only survives losing all his family and friends but he ends up eventually thriving and he talks about he quotes Nietzsche as saying he who has a why to live can bear with almost any how we have to know why we're here what is our purpose what gives us meaning. And part of why we're here, to be honest with you, is to keep the memory of the people that we love that have died, their memories alive. That's part of our purpose in life. So I knew I had to figure out why I was here. And I also, my other takeaway from that that book was if Viktor Frankl can survive and thrive after his entire family dies, then I am going to be able to survive and eventually thrive after my brother and cousin died, because we don't just want to survive. We want to thrive. We want to find meaning again. And I had lost my meaning. So it was a journey. I took an existential journey which lasted three years. You know, for some it's more, for some it's less. There are no time frames on this. And when I came out of this, I dropped out of college, you know, moved away. And when I came out of this three-year journey, I was working at that point, but I decided I want to become I want to go into the field of psychology and social work and help people find hope again. I want to give them the support that I didn't feel that I had. So that's kind of what I've devoted my life to. And my brother is my guiding light. He is my guiding light every step of
0: the way. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah, wow, you're welcome. Very, very emotional and um, moving. And you also mentioned your father, so I'm curious. Yes. Now that you know you had that experience and that you dedicated your life to this, how did you deal with your father's death differently?
1: Well, it was different because my father was—he died two years ago during COVID, and that was very, very difficult because he was in the hospital for back surgery and got a staph infection, and I was not allowed to see him. So my brother died suddenly, and so I didn't see him. But my father, I knew he was declining in the hospital, but I wasn't allowed to see him. So it was that part of it was very isolating and hard because I wasn't able to say goodbye, and I knew that he was dying. Um, it was a little different because he had lived a full life and a long life. But I want to say for people out there, just because someone dies and they're old, older, because he was in his 80s, his early 80s, doesn't mean we don't miss them. I'd never had, I'd never known my life without my father. He was the first man I ever loved. You know, everything I did was to make him proud. So his, lo- his loss was as, it was very different than my brother's, but it was as significant. Because sometimes I think we can minimize these things and, and minimize the fact that people have, that are older die. And maybe that it maybe is not as significant, but all losses are significant for different reasons.
0: Ooh, yeah. And you know, it's interesting because I think I've heard a lot of stories of, you know, folks who died during COVID and, you know, weren't able to see families. And mm-hmm. um just, you know, curious, you know, what that impact has done on the on the collective psyche, like what you've kind of noticed. Um, when, you know, especially coming out of the pandemic, like how has your practice and perspective shifted, um, since we, since we had the pandemic?
1: Well, I think people are talking more openly about grief and loss because there were so many people that died during the pandemic. So I think as a collective, it's a conversation that is happening more often. You're seeing shows like this, podcasts, like these kind of themes in it more than we ever have. So I think that part is positive that we're talking about it, that we're supporting each other, that we're having these conversations. Um, I think it was very difficult for anyone that couldn't see people that they loved at the end. If you know someone is dying and you can't see them because there's unfinished business that you're not able to finish if you could have seen them. So that, that can be very difficult.
0: And Heidi, do you suggest that people create like their own kind of closing ceremony or ritual if they did not have access to someone who died? Like, how would you, yeah, how would you kind of help folks you know who can close that chapter or who didn't get a chance to? And I'm also curious how that works uh, for folks in in a war zone.
1: Yasmin, yes, I, mean, I love this. These are these are such good questions. Um, <laughs> yes, I think you can do it anywhere. You can do it in a war zone or not in a war zone. I think writing letters to somebody you know, um, you know, you don't have to send them, you can rip them up, you can burn them in a ritual, you can mail them, you know, to nobody, you can mail them to your loved one. I mean, so I think writing letters is really great. I think having conversations with that person, because you know what, we've internalized their messages. Yes, Scott, my father died. I've internal, I know what they would say to me. I know the kind of advice they would give to me. So having conversations in my office, I do an empty, it's called the gestalt theory where I do the empty chair technique. And I say, what if your mom was here right now or your dad or your brother and sitting in that chair, what would they say to you? What do you want to say to them? What unfinished business do you have? When people are having a hard time, I say, what would your loved one say to you right now if they were here? What advice would they give you? What support would they give you? So, you know, we can continue those conversations even after people are physically gone.
0: Yes, uh, thank you so much. Um those are all really, really great things to do for folks who may be stuck or you know don't know what to do next. Uh, I'm also curious, Heidi, if you could talk to us a little bit about what open to Hope is.
1: Sure. So the Open to Hope Foundation is something that my mom and I founded. Um, and we did it. It's an online, free resource internationally all you need is the internet and uh it's for people that have had are looking for hope after loss and the reason we call it open to hope is because we didn't want to tell people to have hope after loss because that is minimizing a loss that is invalidating it i would have not i would have been really angry if someone had told me to have hope but if but if someone had told me to be open to the idea that maybe someday you can have hope i would have been open to that So our message is just to be open to the idea that someday you may have hope again, even though right now you don't believe that. And we close every show by saying, if if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. Because sometimes we have to lean on people that are further down the road in their journey, in their grief journey. We have to lean on their hope until we find our own. Mm. So we have hundreds of cable shows and podcasts and and, you know authors writing for us. We have four four hundred authors that have written for us. And we've been doing this for almost twenty years. So we have a lot of content for people so that you don't feel alone. You can listen twenty four hours a day. I had I know someone that was in Afghanistan and he listened every he listened every night for three years. Wow. So you can listen wherever you are.
0: Wow! Wow! Amazing. That's such an incredible resource. Uh, so we'll also leave the link to that in the show notes for people to to have access to it. So Heidi, I'd love to understand some of the trends you may have noticed uh, or seen over time um, working with men versus women, or working with you know Western cultures or Eastern cultures when it comes to processing grief. Like, have you noticed any kind of you know, trends uh, come up or emerge from from these nuances and differences and how how these these just, you know groups can actually learn from each other.
1: well, I'm going to be stereotypical when I do the men versus women <laughs>
0: okay. because we there are exceptions.
1: There are people that aren't like this. Um, I think that we're changing so that we're not as different as we used to be. but I think traditionally men seem to be better at grieving shoulder to shoulder uh rather than looking at people in the eye i think they are they like to be doing things um i always say if you want to have conversations with teenagers or boys male teenagers or male boys like be doing something with them um i think that men especially in the western culture and and in all over the world but have been given messages like walk it off suck it up big boys don't cry be a man hide your emotions. And those are not healthy messages. You know, they can be very toxic when you're grieving. Um, so I think those, those can be difficult. Um, as far as Western versus Eastern, I think sometimes in Eastern cultures, they do a better job with ritual, um, you know, around, around grief and loss. Mm, So,
0: yeah. Yeah, fascinating. I, I've noticed that trend as well, you know, with um men. It just feels like now there's there's a movement towards being much more open in their emotional world rather than just, you know, holding it in. And um yeah, just wanted to highlight that because I just think we need to talk about it in our culture and and ensure that that these spaces that there are open spaces for it um, rather than it being bottled up
1: absolutely and, and and in fact on a side note i wrote a book called real men do cry and it was with an nfl football quarterback so it was a professional football quarterback for 10 years for the detroit lions and he talks about the fact that the message he was given were not helpful when his teenage son killed himself it wasn't helpful for him to hide his emotion and not seek help he needed the support of other people he needed to reach out and that's why he wrote the book with me so that he could help other men you know, gra- go through the journey of grief
0: and and so, Heidi, the best thing we can do if someone is going through a loss or grief is to just let them tell their story. Don't interject. Don't try to say, don't try to be helpful, essentially. Just just really hold space for them. That's really what they want us to be validated. Is that correct?
1: well, yes. and and if you're going to be helpful, don't have euphemisms like at least it was fast, at least they were old, at least da anything that starts with at least is not helpful. Mm-hmm. So minimizing and acknowledging, acknowledging and validating is helpful, but minimizing a loss is not helpful. Um, you can, you know, there's friends out there and also look at friends in, in different ways. In other words, you're going to have friends out there that are not grief support, but maybe they're there to help you play and distract you. Maybe that's their role. So that could be their role and that might be good for you. And then there's going to be friends that are su- great support everybody's not going to be great grief support. So, you know, that's just not how everybody is. And then there's going to be other friends that, you know, want to go and do things with you. So there's different friends for different reasons.
0: Yeah, definitely. So what sort of things have surprised you the most on this journey, Heidi?
1: Well, I've been surprised at the amazing people that I've met that have also had death, a loss in their lives. There's a depth to people that have had loss that I've never seen before. There are so many angels on this wor- on this earth that have had, and when I say that, I mean people that have had losses that are here making meaning after their loss. Um, there's something called post-traumatic growth and post-traumatic wisdom. And there's a lot of research out there on these things. And it talks about how we grow in profound ways after our losses. Now that doesn't mean, I. W- I wish my brother was here. I would rather have my brother here than grow in profound ways, but he's not. We have grown in profound ways. It shows that people that have had significant losses in their lives, they have more gratitude for being alive. They can support others who have gone through great adversity and loss. They're better equipped to go through great adversity and loss because other things might happen in their life. They're more spiritual. You know, so there's a lot of takeaways and a lot of things that happen that are areas that we grow in after a loss.
0: Uh, That's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's true for, for, you know, anytime I have an issue, I'm always going to people who have been through a lot of, you know, experiences who can actually have the perspective that could be helpful. Um, So Mm -hmm. definitely, definitely agree. How, you know, has your point of view evolved over time, Heidi, you've been in this world for so long, you know, how have you sort of shifted your thinking, if at all, uh, on this space?
1: One of the biggest shifts I've had is that I didn't realize 35 years after my brother died, and I did say 35 years, how significant he would be in my life forever. And I actually designed a class at Columbia called Traumatic Loss During Childhood, which looks at our losses over our entire life. Our losses don't have a beginning and an end. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have joy. I rebound very quickly when I think about my brother. I don't stay in these dark, sad places. I'm more in a joyful, celebratory way with him now. But I have conversations in my head with him. I think about him. I make decisions based on the fact that he was once in my life. He has had such a profound impact, and he still does to this day. And I didn't realize that he would be such a big part of my life and, and what I've done with my life uh, for this long. And he will be forever until I'm not here anymore.
0: Wow. So beautiful. So I think
1: that's changed. I used to think, you know, it takes a year to, to get over your loss. And, and I don't, none of that I believe in anymore. Cause I, like I said, you don't get over it. And the whole idea of a year is, is absurd. I'll, I'll miss him as long as I'm, as long as I'm here.
0: So Heidi, what would you say to someone who, you know, let's say they had a loss uh, five, 10 years ago, or I don't know, maybe even more, a couple decades ago, and they've not been able to get over it. Um, How would you approach the conversation and situation? And where do you think, you know, what do you think is happening in that situation? Like you mentioned that some people just never get over it, but I guess, how can you help people move through something that, that uh, took place many decades ago um but it still feels like it's it's happening in the present moment so two
1: things i don't want them to get over it but i want them to learn to live with it i definitely need them to learn to live with it and if it keeps happening what happens to us that's that's a problem so if you feel like when you think about the person that's died that it's happening all over again and it feels very new then you can be stuck in the trauma narrative and so We have to remind ourselves when we're thinking about the person and if, you know, we're thinking about the way that they died, et cetera, that's not happening anymore. We're in safe places. We're in supportive places. We're not in that space anymore. But I would say if you keep moving into those areas and if it's creating situations where you can't function at work, where you're constantly thinking about it, where you're avoiding places that remind you of the person that died you know, where you're not functioning well anymore, where you're not, you know, you're distancing yourself from people, you're isolating, then I would want to look at the possibility that it's complicated grief. And there are, there is a complicated grief Institute and there are, you know, people on the internet that work with complicated grief. I would be careful about going into that too fast you know, because I don't want to label people as, as having complicated grief, but if it's been 20 years and you're functioning as if it just happened, I would look into some professional counseling around that because it shouldn't feel like it's just happening at this point. Right. Like I am not in the same space I used to be in at all. If I, if I didn't see hope and if I didn't have joy and if I didn't have positive experiences in my life today, I couldn't do the work I'm doing.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Heidi. And what have you found in the data of families who have dealt with major loss and trauma? And how have you seen it impact their lives? It can impact
1: their lives in several ways. One is the family can get a lot closer because they realize that life is fleeting and, you know, that people die. And so, you know, as long as we can take for granted that people are always going to be in our lives, um so it's I I've seen it bring families very close. It brought my family closer. My sisters and I are best friends and our only brother died. Um I've also seen the opposite. I've seen a family member that played a significant role for some reason leaving and the family it tearing the family apart. For for whatever reason. It could be over money. It could be over the fact that the fa- the person that died was the family mediator. You know, um so I've seen I've seen both situations in families.
0: Uh, Heidi, is there anyone uh, in this world who um, you kind of look up to as a mentor? I mean, are there any books or resources that may have inspired you on this journey and on this path that could also be helpful for folks?
1: The two books that helped me the most are Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, How to Find Meaning. Um, And there's one called The Empty Room, Losing a Brother or Sister at Any Age, Elizabeth DeVita Rayburn it is an excellent sibling loss book and there's actually a third one there is a brand new book out called the sixth the sixth stage of grief meaning-making and it's by David Kessler those are the three books I think that have had the biggest impact on my life
0: oh great yeah I've heard of uh, David Kessler's um, work and I have not wonderful yeah I've not read it read it yet but um, okay cool And what do you want to tell our listeners as your kind of main takeaway, your call to action on their well-being and wellness and how to take care of themselves during a time of grief? And what would you say is your main takeaway, Heidi?
1: I would say, I have a bunch of them, but I would say have grace with yourself. Uh, Don't judge yourself too harshly. Tell yourself what you would tell a friend. Because sometimes we're we're our own worst critics. Why am I in bed? Why am I not doing things? Why am I this? Why am I that? You know, be gentle with yourself. Um, If you can exercise, even if it's just ten minutes of walking a day, you know, grief gets trapped in our bodies, and we need to move our bodies when we've had a loss. Not just our, not just talking, but we need to move our bodies. So if you can do yoga, or walking, or any kind of exercise, that's helpful. Eating healthy is helpful. Drinking a lot of water is helpful. And not isolating, reaching out to others for support.
0: Amazing. And uh, lastly, like, why do you think that this subject is important? Because whether or not you like
1: the subject or not, most of us are going to have a death. It's it's just part of life, and we are going to have a death, and we're 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 going to have to learn how to deal with the loss, um, and we're going to need to learn how to transform ourselves in a way recreate ourselves, be in our next chapter, find meaning again, find hope again. It's a journey and it takes time and you know you might have two steps forward and go, "Oh I'm doing really well this is great okay I'm in a good place and then all of a sudden you'll have a really bad day or a really bad hour and you'll be like, "What happened? that's part of the journey that's part of the journey so so being really good to yourself at this point I think is is key and there is hope again. There is hope after loss. Um, I want people to believe in that. I'm not in the same place I was in, you know, at the beginning. I'm in a good place now. I'm in a positive place. I'm in a, you know, I rebound quickly. I'm not, the pain is no longer there. I think sometimes when we think about the pain and when we get into the pain, that's moving into the way that they died. If we want to connect with them, Connect with the love and the joy and the hope. That's connecting with them.
0: What about if if someone died and you were not on good terms with them? You know, how do you, you know, how would you, would you approach that differently?
1: That's one of the hardest things. And I will tell you with sibling loss, it's common because we have complicated relationships with our siblings. We, We try, they're safe people. We try and our family members are safe people. So we try on lots of roles with them. It's safe. You know, if I didn't, if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't even argue with you. I wouldn't give you any energy. So I, I, you know, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that some of the people that have ambivalent, difficult relationships have the hardest time with their grief and sometimes have the most grief. And sometimes we don't know how close we were until people have died. And then we were like, wow, they meant more to me than I realized because now they're no longer here. So I would say there's things that you can do even after death, to mend the relationship. And again, it's things like writing letters, pretending writing to them and then having them pretend to write back to you and having, having conversations. They might be verbal. They might be in writing. You know, we, you can mend the relationship even, even in death.
0: Mm, beautiful, beautiful, Heidi. Thank you so, so much. Um, are there any resources and you can, um, that you can point folks to in order to learn more about you and your work and your books? Go to opentohope.com. That's
1: opentohope.com. And you will see all of our resources. And everybody that we've interviewed has had a loss. They have found hope. They are very candid about how they've done it. Um, And like I said, we have 400 authors that are writing daily about these the kind of topics, Yasmin, that we talked about today.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Um, Wow. What an incredible amount of resources for everyone who's listening. Heidi, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for doing this type of work. It's just so badly needed, especially now. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on and thank you for the conversation you know, because you're
1: normalizing this topic in this conversation and we need more podcasts like this. So thank you,
0: Yasmin. Oh, thank you so much, Heidi. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about the grief process and how we can recover with Dr. Heidi Horsley. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.